Father, we have sung wonderful songs this morning declaring how worthy you are of our praise. And we don't want to stop right now. We want to continue on this posture of praise as we open up your word. So as we open up to Habakkuk, this last message in this series, may we not glance over parts of this passage, but may we see your glorious truth and the gospel through this. We thank you for this time. We thank you that you are present with us. You have not forsaken us. You are with us and for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever encountered somebody who seems way too happy? Maybe you are one of those people that for some reason, whatever the circumstances, you are just happy a lot of the time. Today, this morning, whether or not you are joining us for the first time or not, we get to explore the last section of an Old Testament book, which are the stories of God, his people, and others before the arrival of Jesus in the Gospels in the New Testament. Today is our last sermon in this series as we explore Habakkuk 3, 17 to 19. And I want us to explore a question that we started last week. And this will help guide our thoughts as we go through these few remaining verses. The question is this, if you forget, how does one get from protest to praise? Whether or not you were with us last week or any weeks before, let's see Habakkuk's transition from protest to praise very quickly. Habakkuk 1, 2-4, right in the beginning of this book, told us this. Habakkuk says to God, How long, Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen, or cry out to you violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed, and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous, so that justice is perverted. This man was sick and tired of the violence and injustice around him. Leaders from Judah had become apathetic to the things around them, and the leaders themselves had joined in on the injustice themselves. Habakkuk, a prophet of God, asked God to answer these things. He called God silent and one who tolerates evil. But God answered and said he would use the Babylonians, another evil to get rid of the evil in the land. Habakkuk couldn't believe it and thought, how could they get away with this evil? God answered with his just wrath, saying that they wouldn't. And Habakkuk last week, in the beginning of chapter 3, came out in praise. This morning we get to see another glimpse of this posture of praise from Habakkuk. We read these words, Though the fig tree does not bud, there are no grapes on the vines. Though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in 
the Lord. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Times are bad for Habakkuk and for the land of Judah. The fig tree isn't budding. There are no grapes on the vines. The olive crop fails. Fields produce no food, no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls. Farmers and ranchers, this must stir up fear in your hearts this morning. Imagine nothing growing. Imagine crops failing and no food being produced. No animals at all present. They're all gone. How could life be good at all? Although we want to think about this this morning, we want to think about this question as well. How can one rejoice in the Lord while life is falling apart? We want to still understand how one gets from protest to praise. But we want to see this morning even more specifically, how can one rejoice in the Lord while life is falling apart? And life will fall apart at some point in your life. Whether or not you try in all of your power to control each little area of your life and keep everything going at the exact same speed, your life will fall apart at some point. What do I mean by falling apart? I mean this. With no warning at all, something will happen. Perhaps it is like the weather itself, like Habakkuk is mentioning, which makes things grow. Perhaps it is like myself, where we had a child in the hospital at just four or five months old. Perhaps for you watching right now, it is like having a solid job, and then suddenly you lose your job, and your child, who is in sports and school and in school, suddenly has to be at home for everything. For some Christ followers in the world, life falls apart when you read your Bible in public or openly share the gospel and then you find yourself physically beaten, taken away from your family, and it seems like everything is falling apart. Today I invite you to follow along with me, with Habakkuk, as we get to the answer to rejoicing in the Lord despite life falling apart. Before we get into the full text, I want us to hear the story of Alan Gardner. Alan Gardner wanted to be a missionary. In 1851, he was shipwrecked near a remote island near the tip of South America. On this island, everybody eventually died as they were shipwrecked, as I mentioned. As he kept a, uh, a journal during this time, Alan Gardner said these words from Psalm 34. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. And then he writes, as he has seen people around him dying from his ship, and knowing that he wouldn't see his family anymore, wouldn't go back to being comfortable anymore, at least in an earthly sense. He says this, I am overwhelmed with the goodness of God. 
I am overwhelmed with the goodness of God. This man never got to be a missionary. He was on his way to doing that. He never got to do what he thought God had called him to do. And so, in one way, his hopes were all gone. And yet he claims that the goodness of God was so visible in his life at that time. How does this even happen? And how do we, as people who, for the most part, I'm assuming, aren't even dying of dehydration or starvation at the moment, rejoice in our good God? Let's read that text right now while thinking about that question. It says this, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Now we as human beings typically think that God is most good, or we say he is good, in times of our life when we are doing well. For example, we may say that God is good when we are healthy or when everything is going our way. But how often do we say that God is good and praise him even when we are sick or a loved one is near death? But for Habakkuk, and even for someone like Alan Gardner, they must have had some sort of idea of what it meant to praise God in the midst of a not-so-good life. I believe Habakkuk gives us insight into how we do this in this passage. I believe Habakkuk tells us three things in particular to remember that propel us not only from praise, from protest to praise, but to rejoice in the Lord despite the things around us. These three things will remind us to live out like Habakkuk 2.4 says, that the righteous will live by their faith. First, let's see how bad things really were for Habakkuk and the people of God. Deuteronomy 8, 7-9 says this, For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron, and out of those hills you can dig copper. For the people of God, the promised land from God was going to have fig trees, vines that would produce grapes, and a land in which they would not lack anything. But later on in Deuteronomy, God also says something. Deuteronomy 28, 15 to 19. 
says, But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the field. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Cursed shall you be when you come in, and cursed shall you be when you go out. Habakkuk and many others are feeling the weight of disobedience, the weight of what it means to not follow God and his commands. And yet Habakkuk still wants to praise God. F.F. Bruce, who was a theologian and commentary writer, said this, To rejoice in God for his own sake is evidence of pure faith. Let me say that again. To rejoice in God for his own sake is evidence of pure faith. Evidence of pure faith. Regardless of circumstances, to praise God. Things in the land weren't just worrisome or bad. They were really, really bad. Bad enough to turn away from God even more. But Habakkuk wants to turn the other way. He wants to turn to God. How exactly does he do this? Well, let's see here how Habakkuk tells of three things of who God is and how they propel us into praise. Number one, God is our Lord. God is our Lord. Verse 18, he says, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Here Habakkuk reminds us that God is our Lord. But what does that mean? What does Lord actually mean? Merriam-Webster defines Lord, the dictionary defines Lord as someone or something having power, authority, or influence, a master or ruler. Now, although this is an okay definition, I think the Bible paints a brighter picture of God as our Lord. Lord in the Old Testament is most often actually the personal name of God. In our modern English translations, they'll put Lord instead of his personal name, Yahweh. Habakkuk says, I will rejoice in Yahweh. The original intention to use the name of God in these passages throughout the Old Testament was not only to be reminded that God is personal, but also that God is indeed the one true God. In the New Testament, we have a glorious understanding that Jesus is Lord. Jesus, who is also God. Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For some of you who are listening right now, you may have a different idea of what the word Lord means. You may think of, about someone who lords over another. And when we think about that, we may think about bullying 
or someone who tries to put their own standards or thinks that they are better than everybody else and they act like it. Perhaps you know of somebody who has lorded over you. Siblings who thought they were smarter than you and made you know it all of the time. Therefore, lording over you with that. Even people who claim to be Christians but couldn't help but lord over you with something. Even pastors. And yet, God gives pastors a unique charge to not lord over others. 1 Peter 5, 2-3. Peter writes, Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. And he says this, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. However, much like almost anything in culture and society, these people who lord over others that we may know paint a worse picture and do not reflect the Lord who is Lord over all things. Jesus is our Lord. He is the one, as Revelation 19.16 says, on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now why is this good news? And how does it propel us into praise, even when all things around us are falling apart? This is what I think. I think it's because the lordship of Jesus means that he is ruler and sovereign over all things. You see, Job, who literally had everything taken away from him, says in Job 42:2, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. You see, because God is good and all-wise, we can be comforted that he is Lord. Even with circumstances that aren't good, we can know that God is good. And not only just good, but looking out and making all things work together for our good. Romans 8:28, And we know that in all things, all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. Habakkuk continues in this passage by saying, I will be joyful, joyful in God my, what? Joyful in God my Savior. God is our Savior. It's the second point. God is our Savior. Here is another word that we often use, like Lord, and yet need to be reminded often, of, our, of its impact on our life. God is our Savior. When we look at this, I don't want us to mistake it for meaning that God will save us from every uncomfortable situation or hard moment, at least in the timing we think. I do believe that God will save his children from hard moments. In fact, in many ways, this is what partly brings us to praise. Romans 8, 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. 
Suffering, hurt, famine, persecution, even death won't have the last word in our life. Romans 8, 38 to 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And yet, history from the Bible and our world tells us that Christians will suffer. 2 Timothy 3.12 In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So how is God, being our Savior, propel us into praise when life is ravaging around us? In particular, if we are promised that we will suffer, the answer to this is found in the suffering Messiah. Mark 10, 33-34 says, They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. You see, in the crucified Jesus, we can see we can know that even the God-man suffered, and not just suffered, but died. How does this give us hope? Well, you see, that same crucified Messiah tells us the answer in John sixteen thirty-three. He says, I have told you these things, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. God is our Savior. He saves us eventually in his own timing from past hurt that has hurt us, present hurt that we are going through at this moment, and he saves us from death to life from any future hurt. God's people will suffer. There is no doubt about that. Persecution from being a Christ follower may seem more visible in other places, but church know that it will be like that in Canada at some point. We will also suffer because we live in a fallen world, and our bodies know this. Christians are not exempt from things like cancer, broken bones, and even dying. But know this, church, the death and the penalty of sin has been defeated by Jesus for all those who trust in him. Having joy in the all-satisfying person of Jesus takes away any kind of overwhelming and external anxiety that we would experience and instead turns that into an all-glorifying praise to our good God. Habakkuk continues to tell us that the sovereign Lord is my strength. This is our third point. God is not just Lord, he is not just Savior, he is our strength. Psalm 46, 1-3. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way, and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake 
with their surging. See, for Habakkuk and the faithful people of God, the idea that God their strength, God is their strength, echoes throughout their actions and words for generations and generations before Habakkuk. Isaiah 41.10 also says this, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So God himself says that he will strengthen his people. In many ways, I perhaps don't need to say how this helps us during times when our lives are falling apart. Our weakest moments, both spiritually, mentally, and physically, are the times when our lives seem to be falling apart. It is in those days when we don't feel like doing anything that God and our living by faith in him upholds us with his hand. In those times we can say the words of Exodus 15:2, The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. And as Christians who have been born again because of the Spirit, we can say with Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 9-10, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. In the strength of God, Habakkuk tells us that he makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. And then just like that, we're done, Habakkuk. Like deer, we can very much, like Habakkuk, stand firm and tread on the heights of life with confidence, because it is God who strengthens us. God is our strength. These words from Habakkuk were meant to sing out in praise and worship to our God. You may notice these words. For the director of music, on my stringed instruments. This is the impact of these words, that they are so impactful They are meant to be sung out in praise, in praise together and in praise uh, by ourselves. As we close this morning, I want us to hear this quote from R.C. Sproul. The recently passed theologian last year, an author once said this, Anyone can believe in God, but it takes real faith to believe God. Do we truly believe God and believe in God when things are tough? Or do we only believe him when things are great? Life is hard sometimes, and not just sometimes, but many times. It feels like life is hard all of the time. I know this, you know this. There is no getting around this. Some of you, as I'm speaking to you this morning, have cancer or know others who have cancer. This is really, really hard. 
Some of you know others who have had or, or have COVID-19. And this is really tough. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Life is really tough and challenging. And yet, like many truths in the Bible, we have a but. In this case, we have this, but God is our Lord. He is our Savior. He is our strength. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. The character of God is stable and never changing, just just loving, good, wise, and eternal. Don't stay at protest, church. Come rejoicing in the Lord and come to praise him. This is Habakkuk as a book. Like the whole Bible, it points us to God and challenges us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Show your communities this, that your only hope is in Jesus, and that you will praise him despite your circumstances. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for what has transpired so far in our singing, in our opening of the word, and in our prayer. Father, my hope is this, that despite of what is going on around us, the sickness within us and the sickness around us, the violence around us, the injustice in this world, that we would still rejoice in our Lord, the God of our salvation. May this be our cry, may this be our prayer this week. Despite anything going on, we will praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.